being a part of this conference. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. I want to start with this verse, these verses. And I'm going to say some things that should be pretty obvious here. We're talking about a praise and worship, better way to worship conference. But in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, it says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What a great truth that is. I'm not going to preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but what a... Man, this is, makes such a difference. I've talked to so many people recently that have come to our meetings and received the baptism. We just finished up with a meeting in Orlando where there was nearly 300, I think it was, 250 or something that were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And in Washington, D.C., there was about 350. And we just see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. I go into spirit-filled churches and give an invitation, and we'll see 100 and 200 people in spirit-filled churches get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Most spirit-filled churches do not emphasize the Holy Spirit. They don't talk about the Holy Spirit. This is, this is really important. Not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. And then the very next verse says, and I think that this is related, this is part of being filled with the Spirit, is speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think you can separate those. If you are truly filled with the Spirit, there is going to be thanksgiving, worship, and praise come out of your heart. And this says that we are supposed to be filled with the Spirit, and then it says speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart. You know, I'm not a singer. I'm going to spare you me singing. Amen. <laughs> but uh, I sing all of the time. This last week I was out working at my property, and you know, one of the good things, you can plug your, I, your iPhone in, Put on some earphones, and man, if you turn up the volume loud enough, you can't tell that it's not you. I mean, we are blessed today to be, even if you can't carry a tune, you can worship the Lord through other people. And I was out at my property just praising God and shouting at the top of my lungs, talking about how awesome God is. And I can't conceive being filled with the Spirit without singing and making melody in your heart. You know, there's a scripture in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And then verse 7 says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, abounding therein with thanksgiving as you have been taught. The therein, when it says abounding therein, that's talking about abounding in faith with thanksgiving. You are not truly abounding in faith unless you're thankful. I meet so many people who they just look mean and they got a bad look on their face and you ask what's going on. I'm trusting, I'm believing God. And they are so focused on something and they're trying to get something that they don't have any joy and any peace in their life. And I tell you what, you aren't abounding in thanksgiving, I mean in faith until you get into thanksgiving. If I was to, you know, to come up to you and if you'd been believing for 
you know, your rent, or if you had a need, and if you'd been believing for that need to be met, and all of a sudden I come up and put in your hands the exact amount of money that you'd been believing for, I guarantee you there would be some form of thanksgiving. <laughs> different people respond different ways. Some people might cry, they'd be so thankful, but that'd still be tears of joy. Some people might shout, some people might run, some people might scream, some people might dance. We've all got different ways of manifesting. But if you were believing something and saw the physical results of it, you wouldn't just sit there and say, well, glory to God. (laughs) There would be some form of thanksgiving. And this is what praise and worship is all supposed to be about. And I'm sure that Daniel, I know from last year the things that he said, I know he'll be getting into this, so I don't want to steal all of his thunder. But praise and worship should be thanking God for what He has already done, not trying to get something from God. This is saying that you are giving thanks always for all things. It didn't say you're giving thanks in order to get all things. This is what a lot of people do. They praise God through gritted teeth, not meaning it, but thinking that if they will go through the motions, then it'll make the power of God flow in their life. But you know, you can actually get to where you praise God not wanting anything. Just thankful for what He did. I'm not going to turn over there because I'll preach on this all night if I do. Let me just reference... In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were beaten, thrown in jail, put in the dungeon, the lowest part of the dungeon. Their hands and feet were in stocks, which meant that if they, you know, were hurting, there was no way they could relieve themselves. It was totally dark. It was probably filthy. It was a bad situation. And at midnight, they started singing. They probably were up because they hurt so much. It was uncomfortable. They couldn't sleep. So they just started singing. And you know what? There's some people that when you're in a bind, when you're in a bad situation, you will praise God because you've heard that praise stops the enemy. It's uh, praise stills the enemy in the Avenger Psalms chapter 8. And there's some people that will do it in order to just, you know, force victory. They're doing it through gritted teeth. But Paul and Silas were actually worshiping the Lord not to get something but because they really loved God. And they were in a situation where their backs were hurting. It was uncomfortable. They were facing possible execution. And yet they, don't, they weren't worshiping God to get something. They were worshiping God just to worship Him. And you can tell that because when they got to singing, God got to patting His foot. And an earthquake came. And it opened up all the prison cells and all of their chains fell out. And they were all free. And guess what? They didn't quit singing and run out because they got what they wanted. They stayed there. And not only they stayed there, but every prisoner in the prison, people that were rapists, thieves, liars, they all stayed in the prison. And the scripture doesn't explain why, but I just believe that they they heard praise and worship that was pure glorifying God, people who had been beaten and were facing possible execution. And these people were so in love with Jesus and so thankful for the honor to be rejected, to be associated. That's what it says in Acts chapter 4 or 5 there. It says they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to uh, to suffer shame for His namesake. 
They heard people worshiping God with a pure heart and it touched them so much that even when they were freed, none of these prisoners that were, were convicts left because they, they enjoyed it more in prison with that true praise than they enjoyed freedom. That's awesome. They didn't leave when they, once they got set free. They kept worshiping the Lord because you know what? Their goal in worshiping the Lord wasn't to get something. But here's a novel thought. They were really worshiping God just for who He was, not for what He could do, not what He might do, but what He had already done. Isn't that awesome? And praise and worship is supposed to be about that. But you know, so much of what's called praise and worship today, it's all whining and griping and complaining about how bad everything is. You know, I drive in an hour to come in here, and when I drive, I sometimes put on... I, I just nearly quit putting on the Christian radio station because the music is so pitiful. It's pitiful. I hate it. As a matter of fact, I've actually turned over to a rock station or a country and western station, which I don't even like that stuff. But I'd rather listen to that where I know it's wrong than to have something talk about God and sneak past my filters because it's got Christianity tied to it, but it's still just wrong. Man, people talking about, oh God, I'm so tired, I'm so poor, oh God, please. That's not praise and worship. That's not glorifying God. It's, it's Christian country and Western. Just griping and complaining. And so much of... So much of the songs we do is talking about, oh, God, move. Oh, God, come and do this. Oh, God, touch us. Oh, God, send your fire. That's wrong. I've actually heard songs before, rend the heavens and come down, quoted from Isaiah chapter 64. And people say, well, what's wrong with that? Oh, God, send revival. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with it is God sent revival. God rent the heavens and came down. And for us to pray like the Old Testament people, that's Scripture. The Old Testament Scripture says rent the heavens and come down, but God rent the heavens and came down through Jesus. And for us to go back under that Old Covenant and act as if Jesus hasn't come and plead with God to do something is an insult to Jesus. The Scripture talks about don't grieve the Spirit of grace whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. You can grieve the Spirit of God, and it grieves God when we start begging Him to do something that He's already done. I was in a praise and worship service where they were just glorifying God, and it was great. I had my hands up. I thought, God, this is awesome. I was just enjoying it. And then the leader of the praise and worship started saying, Oh, God, come. Oh, God. And they just started crying out, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, come. And... Uh, I just felt like the Holy Ghost just left. I know he didn't because he said he'd never leave us, but I guarantee you that grieves the Spirit of God. The power of God was moving, and yet people started asking him to come. That's not what praise and worship is. That's religion. Oh, God, send your power. Send your fire. Oh, God, pour out all of these things. And why, you know, <clears throat> I'm going to minister in the morning, then I'm leaving. So um, I'm going to say some things, and I'll let Daniel straighten all this stuff out later. 
he'll have to deal with this. And I know that there's people that don't see things the way I do, and, and that doesn't mean that you're wrong. You're entitled to your opinion. But let me just take this, let me just take this song about, you know, this is the air I breathe. This is my daily bread. Now, I love that song. I love the music, and I love parts of it, but when it gets to the part about, oh, God, I'm desperate for you. Boy, I hate that. That really angers me because the word desperate means without hope, on the verge of collapse, disaster. I'm not desperate for God. I'm not without hope. Man, God has come, and I'm full of hope. I'm full of joy. And you know, the song talks about this is the air I breathe, and I assume that the correlation is that, you know, if you don't take a breath, you'd be desperate for breath. And I, I agree with that. But if, if you're going around talking about, I'm desperate to breathe, I'd just slap you on the back and say, breathe. <laughs> don't talk about it. Don't sing about it. Don't talk about how desperate you are. Just breathe. I'm not desperate for air. If I didn't breathe, I would be desperate. But man, there's an abundance of air and God made it so that you breathe automatically. You don't even have to think about it. You can breathe while you're asleep. Hope you do. And when I hear people saying, I'm desperate for you and I'm lost without you. I'm not lost without him. I would be lost without him, but I'm not without him. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. So instead of me singing about how lost I am and how desperate I am, which just plays into people who love to glorify their problems instead of glorify God for what He's done, instead I sing, an, and I am in love with you, and I won't live without you. That's better to me than I'm desperate for you, and I'm lost without you. So I still sing the song, but you know what? I, I just... I think our songs ought to be accurate and instead of talking about what we feel like in our flesh without the Lord and glorifying these carnal things and talking about our problems and using songs to just spew out this stuff and so we can have a pity party, I think that we ought to be glorifying God for who He is and what He's done. That's what praise and worship is all about. And for me... I may, it, I may be biased, I don't know, but for me, when I listen to people sing about what they want and what they're asking God to do, and oh God, please move, and oh God, do something, and oh God, I'm miserable, please help me, that doesn't help me. But when somebody starts singing about how awesome Jesus is, they start glorifying what He's done, that ministers to me. And I know it ministers to the Lord. It doesn't please God for us to gripe and complain about things we don't have when the truth is He's already done it. Sin revival. God sent revival on the day of Pentecost. And it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, this prom- or verse 39, this promise is unto you and unto your seed and unto them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That wasn't limited to the day of Pentecost and then God took away the Holy Spirit and then there's a move over here and then God takes away the Holy Spirit. God poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He has never withdrawn it. He has His arms out trying to bless every person that He can and we don't need to be praying for God to move. God's not the one who's stuck. 
What we need to be doing is receiving the Holy Spirit and praising God for what He's already done. Find out who you are. Start enjoying the presence of God and you are revival. Amen. I meet so many people that they, they have a... I, I'm really going to set some of you off, but you know, praise God, I'm leaving. But I meet so many people that are praying for a move of God. No, God, do this. And they have a ministry of intercession. And they will spend hour upon hour upon hour praying in their closet. But they wouldn't talk to their neighbor if their life depended on it. And I'm saying this in love, but you are either totally deceived or you're a hypocrite. Arthur, bless it, right? Hey, do you know how many people you've led to the Lord? I don't guess you have any way of knowing. I bet it's millions. This man has walked around the world, has probably witnessed to as many or more people than any person alive. I don't know that that's true, but I, I bet you there's not very many people who could stay in the same uh, category with him. And you know what? It hasn't been done in a prayer closet. It hasn't been praying for God to do something else. He's been out there doing it. Talking to people all over the world has talked to millions and millions and millions of people. And you know what that is? That's revival. You've got revival on the inside of you. But instead, God told us to go. And these signs would follow us. But what we're doing is staying in our prayer closet and saying, Oh God, please move. And then we want the signs to happen and we're going to follow them. No, it's the signs follow us. You've got to get up and do something. You've got to find out what God has already done. And see, our praise and worship, I believe, is very, very important. It sets the tone for the whole service. There are many people that will forget the message, but they'll remember that tune. And they'll go out and the next day, they'll, they'll, without even thinking about it, they'll be singing these things and rehearsing these words. And if what we've been talking about is just, oh God, please move and oh God, pour out your power. The church that I came out of, hold the fort for I'm coming. What a stupid song. And... Just on and on. Anyway, if those are the things that are going over in our mind, did you know it affects your attitude and it affects your outlook? It affects your paradigm? You wind up pleading with God to pour out His Spirit when God is pleading with you to get up and go. If God had anybody to pray to, He'd be praying that His people get with it. Praise and worship ought to be worshiping God for who He is. You know, this verse here, it says, uh, speaking with uh, melody in your hearts, giving thanks unto the Lord for all things, to the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are supposed to be praising Him for all things, not in order to get all things. And I tell you, if you were to sit down and dissect most songs, and I, I can truthfully say most songs... It's either talking about some feeling that you have. It's talking about asking God to do something. It's pleading with God. Oh, God, heal our land. Oh, God, pour out your spirit, which is an insult to Jesus, as if he hasn't poured it out. It's not God's turn to pour it out. It's us that have stopped it. 
God doesn't need to move. We're the ones that need to move. We need to receive all of these things and move. And if you were to take away all of this stuff, there wouldn't be much left. You know, some of the songs that have lasted like holy, holy, holy that we still sing, you know why that lasts? Because it is just pure worship. Talking about who He is. And that, that'll minister to people, whether it's your style of music. It'll minister because it's glorifying God. Great is your faithfulness. Man, that song's been around a long time. How great thou art because it's talking about Him and all of the heavens declare and it's all glorifying God for who He is. And all of the other songs fall by the wayside and all the little catchy phrases and all the stuff that people do. Those things fall by the wayside. But the thing that lasts because the Holy Spirit keeps drawing people back to it is things that are true worship and praise. And when you give to God like that, God inhabits your praises. Psalms chapter 22. Man, God's pleased with that. It says in Zephaniah 3.17, I believe it is, either Habakkuk or Zephaniah 3.17. It says that He will rejoice over us. He will joy over us with singing. He will dance over us. And in the Greek or Hebrew, that's talking about He twirls over us. God inhabits the praises of His people. Man, God is thrilled when we worship Him. And He gets so blessed. God's never going to let you outgive Him. And when you start giving Him worship, boy, I guarantee you, God will bless you back. Bondages will be broken. You will be built up and encouraged. But it is not encouraging when you're just singing these sad songs about how sorry life is and pleading with God to please come deliver you out of it. That's just pitiful. It's not celebrating the New Testament realities. Turn over here to Psalms chapter 51. Let me just use this to illustrate what I'm talking about. You know, the book of Psalms is all songs that were written to be sung. We don't have the original melodies, but these were the actual songs that they sang. David wrote many of them. Asaph did. And um, these were songs to be sung. And did you know that many, I'm going to say something right here, it's just going to shock some of you. Stick with me, don't reject it until you hear me out. But many of these songs are totally, totally inappropriate for you as a New Testament believer to sing this. Because these people were not redeemed. They weren't born again. They lived under a covenant where the Holy Spirit came and went. And blessings were coming and going. And judgment was placed upon them. And the wrath of God came upon these people. And so they pled with God and did things that if you do it as a New Testament believer, you are totally dishonoring Jesus and what Jesus came to do. And Psalms chapter 51 is one of these passages. This is where David repented of his sin with Bathsheba and then murdering Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. If you have a Bible with a subscript under the title, not all Bibles have that, but this says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when uh, Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this tells you what occasioned this psalm and what this was all written about. And I want to just use this. There's actually a song that is still sung in the body of Christ today, taken straight out of Scripture, Psalms chapter 51, and people sing this. And it's got a catchy tune, and it's a nice tune, but the words will kill you. And we need to renew our mind. And we need to start having a better way to worship, a New Testament way of worshiping and praising God. And I tell you, it'll change your outlook on life if you'll start living in the New Covenant 
instead of the old covenant. You know, I had a Bible college student over in um, um, Boston, Massachusetts, and he's, a, he's been a pastor for many, many years, and he came to our school. And he, this is his first year in school, and I just got a testimony from the director of that school, and they gave me this pastor's comment, and he sent in a testimony, and what he said was, he says, I've been preaching from the wrong side of the cross. <laughs> and I thought, man, that's a great way of saying it. He said, I was praying and believing that God would do this and would do this. And he says, I didn't know that everything's already been supplied in Jesus. And he says, I've moved over to the New Testament side of the cross. And now I'm beginning to talk about what God has already done instead of trying to get God to do something. And it's just changed his life. So let me illustrate here and show you some things that David said that were appropriate for him at the time because he wasn't born again, but it's inappropriate for us. You don't need to do that. You have to have enough wisdom to be able to rightly divide the Word of God. There's still benefit. You know, when you go through this psalm, we're going to see some things that have drastically changed since Jesus came. And so there's benefit to reading this. I'm not saying that because this is Old Covenant that you throw it out. Man, this makes us so thankful about what God has done for us. It's awesome. So there's still great benefit in reading this, but you have to be able to rightly divide it. So look at this. He's repenting of his sin with Bathsheba. And he says in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Did you know from the very first verse, this is not applicable to the New Testament believer. God has already had mercy upon you. God has already blotted out your transgressions. Now, there's still a place to confess your sins, to acknowledge that you've done wrong, to turn from it, because when you go out and sin, you give Satan an inroad into your life. And until you repent, until you quit agreeing with him, you give Satan inroad into your physical body and into your soulish realm. So you do need to repent and turn from your sins, but you don't need to call out to God like David did. I'm sure that this was... In agony, when he realized his transgression, have mercy upon me, O God. God's already had mercy upon you. You don't have to plead for mercy. It honors God to say, Father, thank you for your mercy that was poured out through Jesus. And thank you that even though I deserve wrath and judgment, I'm not getting it. That would be the New Testament way to respond to this. Some of you aren't real excited about this. Some of you aren't sure about this. And you're, now, wait a minute. we still got to plead for mercy. we still got to pray that God let, forgive our sins. No, He already forgave all of your sins. Past, present, and future sins. I've got a great teaching on that in spirit, soul, and body, but I'm not going to teach on that right now. In verse 2, He says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, if you want to talk about your physical body and your mind and your emotions and the defilement you get through sin and say, cleanse, these th cleanse my mind, get this stuff out of my mind, the effects of that sin in your body, God, get that out of me, that would be okay. But you've got to understand that your spirit doesn't lose its right standing with God when you sin. God is a spirit, John 4, 24, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And in the spirit, you are as righteous and holy and pure right now as you will ever be in heaven, even if you have sinned and even if you haven't totally repented of it, your spirit's born again and cleansed. 
And God says to worship Him, which is we're talking about a better way to worship. You have to approach Him in spirit and in truth. So when you come in in prayer or praise and worship, and you're talking about, oh God, I'm a sinner. I'm just a poor wayfaring pilgrim, a trudging through this world below. And you're singing about nobody knows the trouble I feel. Nobody knows my sorrow. When you're doing stuff like that, you're in the flesh. And you're talking about what you feel in the natural and you're glorifying the carnal part of you that's not born again, but the spirit part of you is as born again as it will ever get. And you aren't supposed to approach God in the flesh. You can't worship Him unless you're in spirit and in truth. So if you're talking about all of your physical problems and glorifying all of these things and talking about, oh, I'm so unclean and, oh, God, please cleanse me and wash me, you're in the flesh. You aren't in the spirit. Again, John 4, 24, that to worship God, you must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You need to come before God constantly praising Him for the fact that you are a new creature and talking about who you are, and you need to stand in the spirit. And then, I'm not saying that you ignore the fact that you've got a physical body and a, and a mind and an emotion, and if you've sinned and if you've messed up and if you're condemned and confused because of it, well then, yeah, Father, I change this thinking. Help me to renew my mind. Help me to get rid of these things. That's okay, but you stand in the Spirit. Most people don't do that. Matter of fact, you know, the Old Testament had three three parts to the temple. There was the outer court, then the holy place, and then the holy of holies. That corresponds to our physical body, the outward part that everybody saw, and then the inward part, the soulish realm, and then the holy of holies is the spirit, and that's where you contact God. And in the Old Testament, there was a veil that blocked you from going into the holy of holies because God was holy and we were impure. But Jesus broke that veil, and now we can go right into the very presence of God. And so we now are in that place where we're in relationship. We are in the Spirit, and you aren't supposed to be living in the outer court. You aren't supposed to be living in the holy place. You're supposed to be in the holy of holies, and this is how we should live. We don't try and get into the presence of God. We are in the presence of God. You don't have to beg God to come. He's already here. Man, these are amazing things. In verse 3, he says, For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Did you know in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2, it says that you should have no, the last part of that verse, you should have no more conscience of sin. There's not one out of a thousand Christians that even thinks that's good, much less experiences it. Most Christians believe, I need to be sin conscious. I need to constantly go around saying, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. That's not true. You know what? If you see that you're an old sinner saved by grace, but if your core is an old sinner, even though you're forgiven, but that is who you are. You are just an old sorry sinner. Then you'll just give token resistance to sin. And when it keeps knocking and the pressure continues, you'll eventually give in because after all, that's who you are. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you could see that you have been renewed and you are now a brand new creature, and even though you are a new creature, your flesh can still sin and do things wrong, but your core is righteous 
And God is a spirit. He is seeing you in the spirit and God is pleased with you. And when you see that and that becomes your identity, then as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. If you could truly see that I have been changed and my nature is different, you would wind up living differently. You wouldn't do it perfectly. All of us are still in the process of growing, but your identity would be in Christ. And instead of being sin conscious, you'd be God conscious. You'd be forgiveness conscious. Sin consciousness is not the right thing. Paul, David is saying, my sin is ever before me. That's because he was an Old Testament man and he wasn't forgiven. He wasn't cleansed. He wasn't born again. It was a different covenant. And it was appropriate for him to say this. But it's inappropriate for you. You don't need this attitude. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this great wickedness in thy sight. Now he was... And, you know, I think that this is a godly attitude that is applicable to us today because really it's not the the person that we violated. Those things are true. David sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against the child that was born because God killed that child in punishment for his sin. So there was many people affected by his sin. But the point that he was making was that God, the transgression is really against you. It's It's not the effects, the consequences. It's the fact that I dishonored you. And that's, we still need to see this today that You know, there are people that preach the reason you shouldn't go out and live in sexual sins is because you could contract uh, AIDS. You could get sexually transmitted diseases. And those things are true, but that's not what's really wrong with sin. What would happen if they came up with a cure for AIDS or a cure for sexually transmitted diseases? Does that mean it's okay now? Well, the way some people teach it, that is, because they talk about the consequences. You don't want to do this because look what it's going to do to your life. No, the real problem with sin is that you have transgressed against God. You've exalted your opinion. You've substituted something for God. You've despised His instructions and you've leaned under your own understanding. And that's what's offensive to God. It's not just the physical consequences, even though they exist. It's the fact that you've transgressed against God. And so this is what David is saying. He, he killed a man. He killed a man. He violated his wife. The child died because of his sin and on and on his children. All kinds of things happened because of his sin. And yet he said, really, the transgression isn't all these other things. It's against you. We need to recognize that. And see, if you understand that, you won't have situational ethics. You won't get to where if you're on the other side of the world and if nobody knows you and if nobody knows what you're going to do and if your family and your reputation can never be sullied by it, well, then it's okay to do it because there's no consequences. No, it'd still be wrong because God knows it. So this is a godly attitude expressed there in the fourth verse. In verse 5, it says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's not talking about that she conceived him out of wedlock. That's just saying all of us were born sinners. It is not what you did that made you a sinner. It's your sin nature that made you sin. Sin is a result of being separated from God. It doesn't cause you to be separated from God. That's a major truth right there. In verse 6 it says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou, uh, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Now that's still 
true and applicable for us. In many ways, I could verify that. In verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. This is referring to the priest that when they made a sin sacrifice, they actually took the blood and then they dipped hyssop in it, a, a plant that had kind of a, I don't know, a fuzzy top on it, and they would do this and it would hold the blood and then they would take that and they would sprinkle the person and different things that were being sanctified with this blood. And this is what he's referring to. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Did you know that that doesn't apply to us unless you aren't born again? If you aren't born again, then you can pray this and receive salvation. But once you get saved, you don't need to pray this over and over and over and over and over. Thank you for both of those positive responses. I know that this is different. Than, and some of you, I may be raising questions. I'm not going to answer all of those things tonight. But I've got a lot of teaching on this about um, eternal redemption and so many other scriptures. We have been forgiven of all sin, past, present, and even future sin. In verse 8, it says, Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Again, New Testament believers just adopt this same attitude thinking that when you sin and then you get condemned and you feel miserable, that this is God that made you feel that way. That it's God that took away your joy and it's God is the source of this condemnation. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I can guarantee you this is what people think. I've actually heard people pray before, Oh God, just make them miserable. Holy Ghost, we sick you upon them and make them miserable. Give them no peace until they repent. And people think that this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to afflict you. The Bible calls him the comforter instead of the afflictor. The Holy Spirit is not the one making you miserable. It says over in 1 John chapter 3 that it's our own conscience that condemns us. There is condemnation that when you sin, condemnation comes. But Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. It's not the Holy Spirit that's condemning you and convicting you. The only sin that the Holy Spirit convicts of is in John chapter 16, verse 9, or 8 and 9, it says that when the Comforter has come, he will reprove of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then verse 9 tells you what the sin is he's going to reprove of, and that's the sin of not believing on Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not sitting here and saying, you're a drunk. You're, you're an adulterer. You lusted. You did this. The Holy Spirit is only saying, you need to trust Jesus. You need Jesus. It's all about relationship. He's trying to draw you into relationship. Now, if you're sitting there saying, well, I don't need relationship, I'm fine. Then he might say, well, then why are you on dope? Why are you substituting dope for the place that Jesus is supposed to have? I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't acknowledge the problems that's in our life, but the thing that he's convicting you about is always to bring you into believing on Jesus, and he might show you that the reason you're a drunk is because you can't cope With Jesus, you can't cope in yourself. You're turning to a substance and using that to substitute and take a place that God is meant to occupy in your life. Amen? Amen. So it's not God who makes you miserable. And so if you're praying, oh God, please take away my depression. God's not the one that made you depressed. 
not up to God to take away your depression. Your thoughts, your emotions follow your thoughts. If you're depressed, it's because you're thinking on depressing things. Quit thinking on depressing things and you'll quit being depressed. Somebody says, well, that's true for most people, but you don't understand. I've got uh, manic depressive. I've got a chemical imbalance. Well, that's not true that you have all of these other things. Your emotions work perfectly. It's because of what you're thinking on. The Bible says, Isaiah 26, 3, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusted him. If you aren't in perfect peace, it's not because of a chemical imbalance. It's not because you're manic depressive. It's not because of anything else. It's because your mind's not stayed on him. Amen? And I know that there's people who disagree and say, well, you aren't a doctor and you don't understand. Well, the doctors don't understand. I believe the Word of God... More th- the Lord didn't say that he will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him except those who have a chemical imbalance. <laughs> there wasn't any qualifications on it. I've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of people set free. Yeah. Your emotions control are controlled by what you think on. And if you're a depressed person, you are thinking on depressing things. You're thinking on all of the problems. I actually saw a bumper sticker one time that says, if you aren't depressed, you aren't paying attention. (laughs) And you know what? That is absolutely true if all you're doing is looking in this natural world. I mean, the world is in a mess. And it seems to be getting worse. If all you did was just look at this natural world and if you didn't have eternity in view and the promises of God, did you know something would be wrong with you if you aren't depressed? We're all in the process of dying. Every person in here is going to die unless Jesus comes back first. The odds of you dying are one to one. Every one of us is going to die. And if you just think about that in the natural, and if you aren't thinking about eternity and about heaven and how awesome it is, you should be depressed. But you know what? Because of all of these other things, and if you keep your mind stayed on, then my father's house are many mansions, and he's going to prepare a place. It only took seven days to create the entire universe. He's been working on your mansion for 2,000 years. Think about that. And if you would think on those things, then you could be like the Apostle Paul, that, man, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. And you can have joy and peace. It all is what you focus your attention on. If you're depressed, you're focused on the wrong thing. So anyway, this doesn't apply to us. It's, see, God had caused problems in David's life. God did judge David. He is not judging you. I'm not going to take time, but if you turned over to 2 Samuel chapter 12 where it, David was rebuked and he repented, it says that because you've done this thing, that war will never Depart from your house. God caused enemies to be raised up. He says, I'm going to raise up enemies out of your own house. And he had two of his own children try and kill him. He had one of his children kill another child. He had one of his sons take all of his wives and have sex with them openly in front of the entire nation. And then the child that was born to him in Bathsheba, the first one, died. But after he repented, the second one was named uh, Solomon. 
And he was actually named by Nathan Jedediah, which meant beloved of God. God totally forgave them, blessed it, and he, he prospered him. But man, there was consequences. Did you know in the New Testament that's not the way it works? It says in Romans chapter 5 verse 13 that where there is no law, that sin is not imputed. When there is no law. But David was under the law and therefore sin was imputed. Sin was held against David. And he was punished for it. You aren't punished for your sin. This is inappropriate for you to say, Oh God, you've broken my bones. Oh God, make me to your joy again. God didn't do it. David prayed that, but it's wrong for you to pray that. Your bones may be broken and you may be sad, but God didn't do it. You opened up a door to the devil and the devil is the one who's given you such a hard time. God's love for you is still consistent regardless of what you've done. And he says in the next verse here, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We have a song that goes along with that. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's wrong, unless you're lost. If you're lost, you can sing that song and get saved. But once you get saved, then you've got a new heart, and it's wrong for you to keep praying this. It's wrong to keep asking God to save you over and over and over and over and over. There is no such thing as being born again, 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 again. You just get born again. That's it. This is a wrong concept for the New Testament. It was fine for his time, but it's wrong for us. He says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. How many times have we prayed for the Holy Spirit to come and, oh, Holy Spirit, don't leave me. And I know that you're grieved with me, but, oh, God, please. And you just beg. That is a offense to Jesus and the promise that he made in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, where he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. For you to pray prayers like that is wrong. For us to come into church and say, Oh God, come and be with us is a wrong prayer. He says that where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. You're expressing your doubt. You're expressing that God, I don't believe you're faithful. I don't believe your word's true. I know you said you'd always be here with us. If two or three are gathered together, there's a special presence. But God, I don't care what your word says. Oh God, please come and be with us. It's a stupid prayer. And then we pray after we leave. It says, oh God, just go with us as we leave this place. That's a stupid prayer. He said, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake. How's God going to answer a prayer like that? Is he going to leave and break his word so he could come back and answer your prayer? Some of you think, well, you're making a big deal out of nothing. No, it does reflect how much we disbelieve the word of God. And we go by our feelings. Nobody shouted. Nobody jumped a pew. You didn't have a goosebump go up and down your spine. There wasn't a prophecy. And so we say, well, God wasn't within 100 miles of that place. But the truth is, he was here all of the time. Just nobody yielded to him. It would be appropriate for us to say, Father, thank you that you're here, and I know you're here. And Father, we want you to just have your way. Glorify yourself. 
we, we don't want to be, hinder you. We want you to give you freedom so that you can do whatever you want to do. That's okay to pray that. But to pray, oh God, come and be with us. Oh God, come down, rend the heavens and come down. For us to have doctrines that there's demons over Colorado Springs that's blocking our prayers from getting up to God is wrong. That happened in Daniel chapter 9 and chapter 10, but he was an Old Testament man when God was still out there and we were down here. But now God rent the heavens and came down. He lives on the inside of us. And you don't need your prayers to get through the demons and past the heavens. You don't need your prayers to get above the ceiling. You don't need your prayers to get above your nose. Amen. God's right here on the inside. That's the reason... That's the reason that we bow our heads and pray and say, Father. This whole concept, all of the spiritual warfare, binding demons, sending people to the other side of the world to tear down these, this, uh, what was it, the spirit of Diana? that was in all of this 1040 window and they did this stuff. The spirit of Diana was defeated by Paul back in his days so much so that they, their business was falling apart. They fell away from the worship. The spirit of Diana has been defeated for nearly 2,000 years until the intercessors resurrected her and went over and glorified her and gave her place. So we don't need to pray, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit. Or excuse me, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Did you know God's already done those things? It's all in your spirit. Every time you're depressed and discouraged and worried, your spirit is just basking in the presence of God. The fruit of your spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Galatians 5, and 23. Your spirit's always like that. Every time you're depressed, your spirit is just jumping up and down and doing flip-flops. Your spirit can't be depressed. So if you're depressed, you aren't in the spirit. You're in the flesh. You're out here in your feelings and in emotions. Get out of them and get back into who you are in Christ. You know, David, he would agree with these things if he was here. You know, I'm going along. So anyway, just keep reading and you can take every verse like this. But look in Psalms chapter 32 and let me show you something that David said right here. Psalms chapter 32, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. David had iniquity imputed unto him because Romans 5.13 says where there is no law, or excuse me, sin is not imputed where there is no law. David was under the law and so sin was imputed. He was praying about a day that you and I live in. He was prophesying this. And this is quoted in Romans chapter 4 if you want to read it. It quotes this in Romans chapter 4 and applies it to us as New Testament believers. So he says, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Matter of fact, keep your finger there and look at Romans chapter 4 because it's quoted just a little differently in Romans chapter 4. And this is powerful. In Romans chapter 4, it quotes David... 
in verse 6, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom the Lord imputeth righteousness without works, in other words, not according to your performance, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Over in, in Psalms chapter 32, it says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. But here it says, To whom the Lord will not impute sin. Not only did not, does not, but will not. You've not only been forgiven of sins up until the time you got born again, and then all of the sins that you confess, but you've been forgiven of all of the sins that you haven't even committed yet. God will not impute sin unto you. He is not dealing with you according to sin. That is awesome. So back in Psalms 32, here he is saying, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin, in whose spirit there is no guile. Notice he said, in whose spirit there is no guile, which is talking about deception, deceit, sin, evil. When you get born again, your spirit is purged. You become a new person in Christ. Old things have passed away. And in your spirit, you are as pure and holy as Jesus is. Even when you're living ungodly, your spirit is still righteous. And he's saying, blessed is this man. David was longing for what you and I have. He was saying, oh man, blessed is this man to whom God does not impute iniquity. But he did have iniquity imputed unto him. People died because of his sin. Terrible things happened. And the whole 51st Psalm is written about the consequences and begging God for forgiveness and pleading with God to have mercy on him. But you and I are in a different state. You shouldn't be singing Psalms chapter 51. And then he says in verse 3, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through um, fasting all the day long. And he goes on. There are just some powerful things here. He goes on down in verse... Um, Verse 9, be not as the horse or as the mule whose mouth must be held, I mean who have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. You know, this is poetic language, but what he's basically saying, the Old Testament restrained people by outward things, by punishment, by hurt and pain. If you know anything about a horse, a bit and a bridle hurts them. I just gave away about 15 bits and bridles this week. And I was looking at some of them, and I have some that have a, you know, they have a little crook in them. A small crook just puts a little bit of pressure on the mouth of that horse. I've got some that if you were to clamp down, it could literally break the upper jaw of that horse. And then I had one horse that was so bad, I used a hackmore on it that had a fulcrum underneath. And this thing, and when you pulled back on that, if that horse didn't stop it, it'd keep it from breathing. It'd pass out. It'd literally cut off the circulation. That's how you control a horse, is through this pressure. And it's through punishment and through pain that you make a horse do things. And he says, don't be like a horse who you got to be punished and judged and it's external things that hold you. But it says you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk thou in it. Under the new covenant, we've got God living in us. We don't have external laws. We've got the laws written on our heart. And if you would just access God and praise Him for what He's already done and walk in that, 
you would wind up fulfilling everything that was commanded in the Old Testament law, not out of fear of punishment, but out of thanksgiving for what has already been done. We are on a different side of the cross. We ought to be rejoicing and praising God for the abundance of all of the things that He's done and sad to say so much of Christianity is still stuck in the Old Testament Praying God to come down. Praying God to be with us. Oh, God, send your power. Oh, God, send your healing. There's a song that they sing about, you know, healing. And oh, God, send your healing and all this stuff. And I just think, man, he did it. By his stripes, we were healed. It's not up to God whether you get healed. It's up to you. You've got to believe. You've got to receive. You can beg and plead. You can let people lay hands on you until they rub all the hair off the top of your head. And you aren't going to get it from the outside. You've got to believe and receive in your heart and understand what God has already done for you. And if, you under, if the body of Christ understood these things that we're talking about, I guarantee you they'd worship differently. You'd quit glorifying your problems and talking about how poor you are and how tough it is and oh God, please help us and help us to hang on, hold the fort until he comes and we'd change the way we worship. That would change your emotions. It would change your focus. And this is the job of a praise and worship leader is to lead people into praising God for who he is, not glorifying all of the problems that we're having. I heard Charles Capps one time say that he was praying and, and right in the middle of his prayer, God said, Charles, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm praying. And he said, you aren't praying, you're complaining. That's what a lot of prayer is, is just complaining. And that's what a lot of so-called praise and worship is, is nothing but complaining and talking about how bad it is. I tell you, brothers and sisters, it's therapeutic when everything is going wrong in your life, instead of focusing on the problems, to come in and just think about how awesome God is. I believe that that's the reason that the Lord said in John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And did you know they were entering into the time between the crucifixion and the resurrection when it looked like everything had failed. And yet he said, don't let your heart be troubled. He was talking to them just hours before they would see him arrested and then crucified. And he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. How do you do that? You believe in God, believe also in me. And then in the next verse, it's not coincidental that he said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. You know why he started talking about heaven? Because if your life is so bad down here that every time you see light at the end of the tunnel, it's another train. And if you can't see anything good in your life, which is not true in most cases, but if you are one of those that just everything's going wrong, then close your eyes and think about heaven. Start singing about, man, the streets of gold. Start talking about the mansion. Start talking about that there will be no more sorrow, no more crime. Praise Him for all of the good. If your life is so bad here, then focus on heaven. And you know what it'll do? It'll make you shout. It'll make you rejoice. It'll take away your sadness. I don't care what's going on in your life. Somebody said, but they told me I'm going to die. Well, in my father's house are many mansions. (laughs) 
Go to think about that and think, man, this is awesome. If you had Paul's attitude, Paul said, I'm in a strait between two, Philippians chapter 1. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, but it's more necessary for me to stay here with you, so I'll stay here with you. If you had Paul's attitude and they told you you're going to die, you ought to reach up and kiss them. <laughs> Say, man, that's awesome. Either I get to meet Jesus or I get healed, one of the two. Either way, I'm going to rub the devil's nose in it. I can't lose for winning. Amen? That would be the right reaction. But man, they tell you you're going to die and you fall apart like a $2 suitcase. We sing when we all get to heaven, what a day that'll be. And then the doctor tells you you're going and you cry. Something's wrong with this picture. Man, praise and worship ought to focus our attention on God so much that you know what? Regardless of what happens, it just doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. If the doors of the prison open up and I get set free, I'm going to stay here praising God because I just love praising God. And if they don't open and if they kill me, man, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know what? You can't bother a person like that. You can't intimidate them. You can't make them sad when their focus is on Jesus and on all of the things that He's done for us. And brothers and sisters, this is what praise and worship in my book is all about, is focusing our attention on Jesus and what He's done, not what we need to do, not what He needs to do, not about our terrible situation. It's just pointing people past their problems to Jesus. And I pray that during this seminar that um, this will really come across and that when we get into praise and worship, instead of trying to work something up and trying to call God down, instead of trying to do something, we just rest in what He's already done and go to praising Him. And when you do that, I tell you what, it changes your life. It is so much easier to sit in a position of victory than it is to try and go obtain victory. It's just so much easier to be what God's already done than it is trying to get Him to do something. Amen? I believe this will change your life. And you know, even though I've applied nearly all of this to praise and worship, I know that there was people here tonight that needed to be healed. There was people there. I talked to a lady, I think it was yesterday, at our Bible college who came from out of state to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They've been longing it. Longing for it. And you know, you don't have to beg and plead with God. God wants you to have these things more than you want to have them. He's just been waiting for an opportunity. And I want to give you an opportunity tonight to receive from God. To let, to receive. You know, you don't have to pray and say, Oh God, will you please save me? He's already died for your sins. It's already done. All you have to do is confess Him as your Lord. You receive salvation. You don't get God to save you. He's already released His healing power and His saving power. You just receive it. And then once you're born again, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I referred to that at the very beginning when it talks about don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need this power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it's separate from salvation. He told his disciples, they were born again. And he says, don't go anywhere until you receive power from on high. And when they did, they spoke in tongues 
and immediately their life changed. Prior to that time, they renounced their faith in the Lord. They denied that they ever knew Him. After they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they stood boldly right in the face of the very people who crucified Jesus. And it says they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. Man, the Holy Spirit, when I received the Holy Spirit, my love for the Lord just exploded. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, The love of Christ is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. And truly, I mean, I fell in love with Jesus when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that inspired the Word of God. And one of the biggest changes in my life was that the Word of God just came alive to me. I couldn't open it without God talking to me. They were no longer words on a page. They were, it was God talking to me. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it just causes revelation to explode in your life. And every person in here for certain needs those two things. You need to be born again and or you need to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit, which it includes many things, but it includes speaking in tongues. And I know that there's some people that don't think that you have to speak in tongues. It's not that you have to speak in tongues. You get to speak in tongues. It's a privilege. It's an honor. And some people say, well, what's the benefit of it? I've got a book that explains the whole thing. I hadn't got time to go into it. But I guarantee you the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit is the second most important thing that will ever happen to you. The first is being born again. But then when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and start speaking in tongues is when power, it's just like finding a switch that you turn it on and man, the dynamo starts going. You can turn on the power of the Holy Spirit by just speaking in tongues. I know some of you think this is a little strange. But this is my testimony that I was born again when I was eight, but I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 18. And I tell you, it transformed my life. And when I speak in tongues, miracles happen. I couldn't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds of times I've been in situations I didn't know what to do and I just prayed. The Bible says when you pray in tongues, it's your spirit praying. The part of you that's righteous and holy and has all of these things I was talking about. It bypasses the doubt and the unbelief that's in your mind. And it just allows you to pray to God without the hindrances of your confusion and lack of understanding. It is super important. So anyway, I could spend more time on this. But if there's anybody in here tonight who is not born again or... If you are born again, but if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, if you don't speak in tongues, you need to receive that. I can guarantee you, and we would like to help you to receive here tonight. Is there anybody here to just raise your hand and say, that's me? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so that we can pray with you and help you. Anybody else? You know, also, I think we're showing this by the Internet, aren't we? And I, I just read an email, I think it was yesterday, about people that saw one of these conferences weeks later and they prayed with me and they received the Holy Spirit. So if you're watching this by the Internet, you know what? You can also receive the Holy Spirit. He's right there with you, praise God, and you can receive this. So if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, I just want to encourage you to get up out of your seat and come forward and stand here and we're going to pray with you and help you to receive. After we pray for this, then we're also going to pray for other people to be healed. But right now, I'm encouraging those who raised your hand for either salvation or the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this gift of speaking in tongues. If you need that, just get up out of your seat and come forward. Right now. Thank you, Jesus.
Hey, praise God. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Just line up here like this. If you would, don't stand behind each other, but stand alongside each other in, in like this because I'm going to ask people to come up here and lay hands on you and it makes it easier for them to come up here and stand behind you if you aren't uh, two or three deep. So just spread out. We got enough room. If you have to, you can spread around the building. Amen. We'll make it work. That's fine. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? You know, somebody might be thinking, well, I'm just not sure about... Uh, this isn't what they teach in my church. That's the reason we aren't in your church. <laughs> and somebody says, but I'm not sure about it. Well, I am sure about it. And so if you aren't sure, you ought to trust somebody who is. I'm telling you, this changed my life. It'll change your life. Somebody says, but what if I go up there and nothing happens? I can guarantee you if you don't come up here, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> You got nothing to lose. I'm going to give every one of you a free book. What a deal. Amen. You got nothing to lose. You got a lot to gain. If you don't speak in tongues, you ought to be up here. Somebody says, well, I've already prayed and I believe I received the Holy Spirit, but I'm struggling to speak in tongues. You ought to be up here. We'll help you. This book will help you to understand how to receive this gift and how to operate in it. All right, before I can pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you first of all have to be born again. You can't receive the gift that, the, that Jesus gives until you receive the giver. And so if you haven't made Jesus your personal Lord, He's already forgiven you, He's already died for your sins, but that forgiveness doesn't apply to you until you receive it. You, and the scripture says that the way you receive it is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. Believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. He's already paid everything. All he's wanting you to do is to make him your Lord. That's more than just saying the words. It's talking about that you're turning your life over to him. You are really giving your life to God. You won't do it perfectly. This isn't a promise that you'll never make a mistake because you can't keep that. But it is saying that I want you to have my life. I give you my whole self. If you're willing to do that, if you have never done that before and if you're willing to do it tonight, I need you to raise your hand. I need to pray with you first. Anybody down here who's not absolutely certain that Jesus is your personal Lord and that you've been born again? Anybody? Right here is one. Anybody else? Here's another one down here. Anyone else? Here's another one. Praise God. This is awesome. You know, I'm not trying to talk you out of your salvation, but there's a lot of people that just assume that, well, I'm a relatively good person. I'm doing the best I can. Won't that count? Doesn't God accept me? No, He only accepts you if you've made Jesus your Lord. It doesn't, it's not based on your goodness. It's not based on anything else. It's all about your acceptance or rejection of Jesus. If you were to stand before God right now, and if He was to say, what makes you worthy? How would you respond? If you start pointing to something that you've done, well, I, I'm doing better than I've done. I'm better than this person. I go to church. I pay my tithes. You'd go straight to hell. The only answer that is appropriate is to say, it's not what I've done. I've made Jesus my Lord. And I've got my faith in Him. 
Is there anybody else that, that needs to pray this prayer? Here's another one. See, the reason I emphasize this is because so many people are just assuming that I'm a relatively good person. Isn't that enough? No, you have to put faith in Jesus. For those of you who raised your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You don't have to say these exact words, but you have to do something like this. And if you will repeat these words after me and mean it from your heart, then you'll be born again. You're going to change. And from this moment on, you're going to be a totally forgiven, changed person. This is awesome. Amen. And just so that they won't feel like everybody's listening to them, I want everybody in here to repeat this prayer with me. And uh, we're going to pray this prayer. And if you will pray this, mean it from your heart, you'll be born again. Isn't that a good deal? Amen. Say this. Say, Father, Father I'm, sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my sins. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive His forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you now live in me. I am forgiven. I am saved. Right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You believe that? Awesome. Awesome. God bless you. Welcome to the family. Man, that's going to change your life. Welcome to the family. You know, you're different. You don't look different on the outside. This is still a man. This is man. You're a woman. But you know what? In the spirit, you just changed on your heart level. You're, you're forgiven. All that sin's gone. Man, that's awesome. And you know what the Bible says? It says now that every person up here has prayed a similar prayer to that. And you've made Jesus your Lord. According to the scripture... Every one of us are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says twice in 1 Corinthians. God created you as a dwelling place for His Holy Spirit. And so the, the importance of that is that this is what God made you for. He wouldn't deny you the Holy Spirit. You were created to fill with the Holy Spirit. That's what He wants. He wants every one of you to be a dwelling place, to be totally filled with the Holy Spirit. You were created for this. These that just got born again are now in your spirit, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. <coughs> so we don't have to beg. We don't have to plead for God to come. He wants this more than you want it. All you got to do is just open up your doors and welcome Him in. He will not force His way upon you. You've got to welcome Him. So we're just going to pray a simple prayer. We're going to open up our heart and welcome the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And then all of these people standing behind you are our prayer ministers that have been trained. And you know what? After I lead you in this prayer, they're just going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given and He would come upon people and they would speak with tongues. So after we pray this prayer and welcome the Holy Spirit, then they're going to lay hands on you and release this power into you. And then I want you to quit asking and start thanking God that He did what He promised that He would do. Amen? I don't care what you feel like. Just trust Him and believe. And I want you to start thinking. So after they lay hands on you, 
Then I want you to raise your hands because the Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. You lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go like this. You just, I surrender. I yield. And so after they lay hands on you, I want you to lift your hands and start thanking God. And then those of us that have this baptism of the Holy Spirit are going to start praying in tongues because the Bible says when you speak in tongues, you are giving thanks. And so we're going to start giving thanks in this heavenly language. And as we start speaking in tongues, I want you to quit praying in English and start speaking in tongues. Amen? And some of you say, how do you do it? What do you... I've got a whole book that will explain it. I'm going to give every one of you a copy of it. But if you're ready, you could pray in tongues right now. Let me just say, the number one thing that stops most people from speaking in tongues is that they think that the Holy Spirit's going to force you to do it. They think that you just open your mouth and wait on the Holy Spirit to make you talk. And that's not how it works. The Bible says in Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He inspires you to speak in tongues. He doesn't speak. He gives you the inspiration. It's very similar to when I preached tonight. I believe that God spoke through me, but He didn't force me to say what I say, said. That's the reason it came out in Texan. That's the reason it came out in my personality. It was me talking, but I believe it was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's that way when you speak in tongues. You have to speak. You have to make sounds. You have to do something. He's not going to force you to do it. So if you don't know what to say, you could try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. But your tongue's going to be unique to you. You won't be able to pray in somebody else's tongue. So if you start trying and it comes out different, just keep talking. And anyway, this book will explain it and God will confirm it to you. And once you start speaking in tongues, this is going to change your life. Isn't that good? Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you for all of these. Thank you for the ones that were born again tonight. Thank you for the ones that received their salvation. I believe that they were changed in their heart, that now all of us are the temple of the Holy Spirit that we were created for you to fill with your Holy Spirit. We believe it. So we just open up the doors of these temples. We open up our heart and say, Holy Spirit, come in. We want your power living in us. We want you to dwell in us. We want these gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of them, and especially this one of speaking in tongues. We want you to control us and no longer be us. We welcome it. And so now we lay hands on you and say, Receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We loose this power of the Holy Spirit into your life right now. And Father, we believe that your Holy Spirit is taking up residence, that you're changing people's hearts. That from this moment on, we are God-possessed. That we have your supernatural power working in us. Thank you, Jesus. We receive it. Now, I want you to put those hands up and let's just thank God. Praise God for Him being faithful and for the Holy Spirit coming. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling me. Hallelujah. Those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues right now. And as we speak in tongues, you speak with us. 
Just open up your mouth. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. Open your mouth and begin to speak. You can't talk in tongues and English at the same time. So quit praying in English and pray in language that you don't understand. Don't worry about what it sounds like when a baby starts talking. It doesn't sound like English, but that parent knows what that baby's saying. Your Heavenly Father is hearing your heart right now, regardless of what it sounds like. Your Heavenly Father is inhabiting this praise. He's pleased with it. And as you continue to do this, it'll get more fluent. It'll get to where it just flows out of you. But right now, just worship God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for a thousand tongues to sing your, my great Redeemer's praise. Hallelujah. You need to speak out right now. Just be bold. Nobody's listening to you but your Heavenly Father. You're bypassing all of the doubt and the confusion that's in your brain. And you're praying out of your spirit. Man, you're releasing the power of God in you in a way that you've never done before. It's powerful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Did you speak in tongues? Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. You know what? I believe most of these are speaking in tongues. It looks like it. I can't hear everyone, but many, many of them are speaking in tongues. Isn't that awesome? Man, let's just praise God for this. Thank you, Jesus. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know what? This is more important, more powerful than any of you know. I can promise you that. You do not fully understand. Some of you may not have felt a thing. When I first prayed in tongues, I didn't feel a thing. And I thought, is this all that there is? But you know what? I just kept doing it. And man, I have learned how to release the power that's in this gift. So, And let me say this too, that if you prayed tonight... And if you didn't speak in tongues, I believe God still gave you the Holy Spirit because He promised that He would. So I believe that you have the Holy Spirit, but you have to learn how to receive and how to speak in tongues. And I've got a book that uh, shared all of this. When I first prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues. It took me three and a half years before I spoke in tongues after I received the Holy Spirit, but that's because I was a Baptist. And I had been taught that this was of the devil. And I just had so many fears about it that I, it clogged me up. But you know what? I, I got my questions answered. I've written it all in a book, and I want to give you this book. This book also explains what, it, what true salvation is. And for those of you who prayed to receive salvation, this will really help you to understand. So uh, where do we have those books? Mark right here, the guy with his Bible up. I think he's going to take you in the second year classroom and give you a book. If you have any questions, they'll answer your questions. And if you need prayer, they'll pray with you. So if you would, 
just follow Mark. We want you to get the full impact of what happened to you here tonight. So just follow Mark. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't this awesome? If you would, just follow Mark. Follow this little group. They're going to take you into a classroom and they'll give you a book and they'll help you any way that they can. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so these are our prayer ministers down here. And what I would like to do, I'd like to ask that if any of you need prayer, I knew that there was a few people that came for healing tonight. If you need prayer, I'd like to invite you to come and let one of our prayer ministers. These are some of those that have been through this healing school. They have been praying. We have been seeing awesome miracles. What was, what was the one that had the uh, child that would scream? What was that? Oh, the Tourette. Tourette syndrome. You know, I had never seen that healed before. I'd prayed for some people that had that, but this person came and uh, their child started making noise. And was it Janet, one of our... Yes. So Janet, our English student, is she here? I saw her earlier in the evening. But anyway, Janet just went out into the hall and prayed with them. And did you know that that child, I think, had never gone longer than seven minutes without an outburst and some kind of a thing. And and an hour and a half later came back in and testified. And uh, they've been set free of it. It was a great, great miracle. So anyway, these people are well able to pray. And I want to ask that if you need prayer for something, just come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers agree with you. And we're going to pray and we're going to believe God for some great miracles. If you need prayer, come forward right now. And I want to say this. I'm not against praying for people individually. But I'm trying to raise up other people. And these people are just as capable as I am. And I am not going to be here to pray with every person individually. If you want prayer, we're going to point you to Jesus. And these people can pray. They know how to pray effectively. And so if you need prayer, come and let one of our prayer ministers pray with you right now. Amen. And so Daniel, do we have, uh, we got products out here, don't we? So the rest of you, if you uh, haven't gotten any of our products, you know, all of the stuff that I talked about tonight, I've got a series entitled, You've Already Got It, that would cover a lot of these things. And I've got a lot of good materials out there. So you're welcome to get that. We start again in the morning at what time? Eight o'clock in the morning in All right, so we have a continental breakfast at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock we have praise and worship, 9 o'clock I'm up, and then it's workshops. So we have workshops from 10 till noon, and then we have uh, the healing school tomorrow afternoon at 1.30, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, and then we take up again, same schedule on Friday, right? So if you need prayer, come forward. The rest of you, you're dismissed. If you need to be, God bless you. Thanks for coming. And I believe that you are going to praise God for what He's already done. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just agree with all of these and we thank you that in the name of Jesus, every single person is receiving what Jesus has already done. 
Father, we aren't crying out for you to do something new. We believe that you've already healed us and we receive it. I believe that you're flowing through every one of these prayer ministers and that the healing that these people need is manifesting itself right now. That cancer is defeated and gone in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We agree and we receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. Right over here, we got a prayer minister available. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for healing all of these diseases. We agree and we receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. Let me say, if any of you are still watching by internet, you can receive salvation. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully you prayed along with us. And if you need healing in your body, did you know that Jesus has already healed you? And right now, wherever you are, whatever's wrong, I want you to just believe that the healing power of God is flowing towards you right now. Place your hand on yourself, whatever's wrong. Or if everything's wrong, just lay your hand on your head from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. I release the healing power of God. And I command sickness and disease to go, pain to leave, things that have been damaged to be repaired. We break demonic control over people and command you to let go of them now in the name of Jesus. And I release healing to flow directly into these bodies right now. Father, even if they're seeing this weeks, months, years later, I thank you that your power and anointing is flowing through these words right now. That by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive these healings now in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Lots of people being healed. Lots of great things happening. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us and flowing through us and changing people's lives.